morning, everyone. I'd like to uh, review and uh, build on uh, the instructions that uh, that Bill and I have given over the last couple of days. Um, so yesterday, uh, Bill talked about four kinds of meditation, um, samatha, uh, or tranquility, concentration, um, vipassana, or insight, and choiceless awareness, and non-dual. And, um... And these are really a continuum of practice. They're um, they're not different practices. They're a continuum, and and um, and so uh, uh, that wasn't emphasized. But certainly, Bill was intending to communicate that 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 they're a, a continuum of practice. Uh, so so. Um, Samatha, just going to kind of, we've talked a lot about Samatha, I'm just going to uh, review it a little bit. So we choose an object for meditation, and when we use the word meditation object, we're not referring to a thing, we're referring to something that we focus our attention on, and it becomes kind of our home base that we keep coming back to. And we choose an object that is neutral, you know, we don't want to get too uh, desirous about it uh, or have aversion to it. Uh, we don't want something too pleasant or unpleasant. The breath is usually neutral. And um, in a way, the, the samatha, well, the samatha teaches us to let go of the habits of mind and come back to the breath. That's that's the essential learning. That, that And it's a really key learning that we can let go, that these are not reality. You know, we get so caught up in our inner dramas and we, you know, we think they're so real. And then, and then there's the recognition. Actually, there's this neutral kind of uh, safe space or experience, you know, touchstone, home base. I can, I can come back to I can let go of that. And so we develop a kind of uh, a sense of more freedom around some of these habits of mind. And, um, and actually, even, even doing samatha practice, uh, e- even though you know, it's said that um, the samatha practice is not transformative because you know, we need certain conditions, and when we get up from the cushion... Um, we, you know, that those habits may come back, and that's true. Uh, and 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 yet, it's it's there is some uh, some release, some relief, some letting go that can happen simply by samatha practice and and learning that we can <coughs> we can let go, we can, you know, come back to the breath and. Um, and so what happens as the mind becomes... Um, oh, and, and what I want... Also, another thing I want to say about samatha is that 
actually, the samatha is a kind of grasping in the mind. It's it's holding on to the breath as an object. So you know it's but it's it's skillful means. It's putting that capacity of the mind to hold on to something to a a very beneficial use. So so it's training the mind to use its capacity to to grasp in a in a in a way that actually uh, helps us, does us some good. Um, and so so over time, as we do this practice, silence and calmness becomes more present, and uh, and our attention steadies, and and we develop what is called momentary concentration. So we develop the capacity to be with our moment by moment experience as it's arising. <clears throat> so as the mind becomes more quiet. What happens is, you know, we're not so caught and so driven by the habits of mind. You know, like the untrained mind, you know, a thought arises and we're off on that thought, or emotion arises and we're just caught up in that emotion. And um, and and so, with the development of this capacity to calm and steady the mind we begin to see the arising of these uh, afflictive emotions. Now, other things besides afflictive emotions also arise. And we, we can be mindful of them. You know, appreciation, joy, generosity, kindness, all of these things are natural and they arise. And, and we can be mindful of them uh, we can appreciate them. Um, they're not a problem. So, uh, you know, and the Buddha said that his teaching was to address suffering and the end of suffering. So, so we can be mindful and, you know, and so when, when joy arises, appreciation arises, uh, you know, it's there, it lightens our heart, and then if we don't cling to it, you know, that we can get in trouble when we start clinging to pleasant experiences. But if we go, don't cling to, you know, arising of, um, you know, beautiful qualities of heart and mind, uh, that, that's not a problem. So we're we're focusing on the causes of suffering. So we begin to see these habits of mind which create suffering. Uh, we begin to see the arising of, of grasping, of, uh, of judgment, of jealousy, anger, uh, and so we begin to notice that they are arising selflessly. We we didn't make them arise. We didn't want to think a jealous thought or or want to think. You know, a judging thought, they, they simply arise selflessly. And, and so there's this kind of natural progression when 
you know, if we if we are intending to move from samatha into vipassana practice and not just continue in absorption practices, um, which is what we're teaching, uh, we're teaching in the the insight vipassana practice. Uh, so so there's this kind of natural progression as the mind becomes quiet and we see things, then we can open our field of practice. It's like, so then we're noticing, um, we're noticing sounds, we're noticing sensations, and we begin to, we're bringing our attention inward to our experiences of mind and heart, and we're noticing that a thought, and we and we have instruction to, you know, of course we have teaching, which which says, you know, well, take a look at your experience. You know, don't just believe that it's impermanent. You know, don't just intellectually understand or believe or accept that it's impermanent. You know, that the real transformative piece is that you look at your experience and you discover or do you discover that it is impermanent that it arises selflessly and that the the suffering that arises come, comes from identification and clinging to these arisings so 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 we're moving into vipassana practice so an emotion arises of grief. Now, habitually, because grief is unpleasant, we we don't want to feel it. You know, so we distract ourselves. We enter into a story about it. We uh, we turn on the TV. We open the fridge. We do so many things to distract ourselves from the unpleasant experience of grief or anger or jealousy. In Vipassana, we're saying, I'm going to sit here, I'm going to, or stand here, or um, or just be present, and, and see into the nature of this arising experience. This takes courage, because these afflictive emotions are painful feel and we feel them in our bodies um, you know that's and that's when I teach I always recommend really bring your attention <coughs> into the body and it, because because in the mind we tend to get caught up in the story but in the body we really feel the energetic quality of that and we know it's suffering you know, there's no doubt about it it's suffering and we also can really see the impermanent nature of it because you know we can really track how it changes it arises it manifests and it passes away it's really important to to see the passing away of um, these afflictive emotions and you know it um, 
it, it, it shifts, it moves, it moves into the body, and, and we can just give it space. We can just, you know, give it that, that presence, that presence with the experience to be received, to be known. All of these emotional states come from causes and conditions. They come from our upbringing, our uh, you know social <coughs> the social norms that are kind of imposed upon us that we're cert- supposed to be a certain way. They come from experiences that we've had in our lives, and of course the ground that you know the underlying cause is that is our our um, our ignorance of who we truly truly are, our ignorance that that we are um, boundless, that we are life itself. Uh, we think that we're this little separate self, this little separate body-mind, and that you know we have to satisfy this body-mind, we have to promote, we have to you know this get find pleasure and comfort and all of this for this body-mind, and that's our purpose. So, so that's the delusion that, that keeps us bound. But then there are many, many causes and condi- conditions that you know, create specific kinds of suffering. Is that clear? Is that anything confusing about that? <clears throat> so, so seeing that these arise and pass away that these experiences arise and pass away is is very important because we it changes our relationship to these emotions to these afflictive emotions you know whereas before we might have felt you know helpless and overwhelmed when we really understand the nature the impermanent and selfless and suffering nature of these of these uh, emotional states or reactive patterns, we we recognize that that it's going to arise, it's going to manifest, it's going to pass away. So so our relationship to them can change, and there can be more of a sense of freedom around them. Uh, I, I have a student um, comes to my uh, weekly sittings, and he said, and he, and he said one week, you know, that he that there's this pattern that he's had, you know, he's experienced since he was a, a kid of dread, you know, and one can imagine circumstances, you know, perhaps in his family of, you know, dysfunction or unpredictability of what might be, you know, what might happen. And so he had this dread. And so, you know, and it would sometimes just arise. Uh, and he, you know, it would be triggered by something. You know, he wasn't really clear on what would trigger it. And he said, so I used to always have this dread of dread. <laughs> you know, and we can, we can imagine that, that, you know, when is this dread going to take hold of me? You know, like I don't feel it too much right now, but I'm anxious about when this emotional state might arise. 
And he said, you know, with insight practice, you know, I don't have dread of dread anymore. Mm-hmm. You know, dread might come, but I know it's going to go. So you see that freedom that can be in, you know. Um, and these also just the, the, these, these states also, as we don't feed them over time, they slowly diminish because it's our, our feeding them with stories and acting out, you know, the, the dread or the jealousy or whatever it is that, that keeps reinforcing the neural pathways in our brain and, you know, the habits in our lives. <clears throat> so as, as Vipassana practice deepens, and we begin to experience more freedom, a greater sense of space, um, we begin to uh, be more present you know, in, in those spaces between thoughts that I talked about yesterday. Uh, so, so, so not only do we see the passing away of these thoughts and these reactive patterns and so on, we may even see the arising of them. Like our mindfulness may be so, you know, developed and stable that that before they become a full blown, you know, reactive state, we may just see them in a subtle form. And we may see the arising, maybe even before a thought, maybe even just an energetic movement, you know, and then and then being mindful of it, it it tends to dissolve and not develop. So that's how um, mindfulness, insight practice can deepen. And and so and so as we as we live more in this space, in the sense of spaciousness, a silent mind. Uh, we can rest in that. We we more and more rest in that, and and uh, and that moves us into choiceless awareness. So choiceless awareness, you know, uh, Bill mentioned it, but um, you know, talked more about uh, the inside practice. So choiceless awareness is is a kind of um, resting in a stability of awareness in which we are witnessing the flow of life. We are present with the flow of life. So, so it's, um, uh, there, there's an image that, that kind of illustrates this, and it's, it, it's like the difference between being carried downstream, you know, so imagine like a little leaf or something or a twig, you know, being carried down a stream and it's, you know, it's, it's being bounced around by the rocks and maybe, you know, bumps into the shore and gets stuck there and then gets pulled away by a current and keeps going downstream. So it's, it's, it's a bit, that's a bit like, you know, just being uh, 
carried by all our emotional states and and thoughts and and so there's um, and then and then this is more like a bridge in which we see the flow of the mind and you know the emotions it, a bridge you know gives a sense of that that presence and that that witness but it's um, the, the limitation of that image is that it, it, it feels a bit distant you know so because because there actually is a, a sense of intimacy with what is how life is flowing through us so um, but uh, but it, it does it does illustrate the the contrast uh, and so this choiceless awareness in that choiceless awareness you know we're aware we're not we're, we're kind of giving up our you know, in the insight practice, we're, we are coming back to the breath. I, f- I forgot to mention that. So, you know, we're, we're, um, we, we're noticing something arise and pass away, and then, and then our breath is still our home base. In choiceless awareness, you know, we're not necessarily coming back to the home base. We may, you know, we may feel the breath. Um, but really, we're just, you know, life is flowing, and it's, it's really a practice that we can bring into our everyday lives. We're hearing sounds, we're walking, we're, we know we're walking, we're, you know, perhaps the mind is planning, um, we know that the mind is planning, you know, planning ahead and thinking about things that we need to do, or remembering things. You know, and um, there's there's a knowing if you know there's a a compulsive quality to the planning or to the remembering, and and uh, and then there could be a tuning in to the quality of that anxiety which drives that, and so really it's it's a flow of awareness with presence with all of our moment by moment experiences. <clears throat> and so, um, and so we we can move through life in this way with a sense of intimacy, and and not uh, getting caught or lost. And of course, you know these are I'm talking about models, and the reality of life is that sometimes we do get caught, and so then you know then we move into. You know, we're just present with recognizing that the the mind has gotten caught up in an emotional state, a reactive pattern. You know, and so we're skillfully working with it. You know, or maybe we're not skillfully working with it. Maybe we're reacting for a while, and then we remember. And so all of this is um, how how our practice. You know, unfolds, and it's um, it's not. You know, we don't need to judge ourselves. It's counterproductive to judge ourselves. You know, if if there's a kind of a loss of mindfulness, and you know, but uh, I guess just I would say that as a kind of parenthetical comment that that the more mindful we become the more sensitive we become 
to the ethics of our lives. And we recognize that that harming others, you know, so if we do get reactive and we do speak, you know, harshly or speak carelessly or do something which is, um, you know, unkind or or in some way harmful, even subtly, that that uh, it's important to address this, to, to rectify it. So more and more as we develop, and it's really, ethics are really very intricately connected with mindfulness practice. We want to be impeccable in our lives. Um, so... Uh, and part of being impeccable sometimes is asking for forgiveness when when we've you know we've blown it uh, or um, or addressing uh, somebody who has harmed us and say you know this this was you know I feel hurt by this this was you know I don't I I, I feel it's important for our relationship to talk about this so. Um, so all of this is uh, is part of how we live our meditation practice, and so so end of parentheses. So uh, so then in this choiceless awareness, you know more and more this sense of witness as that I am the witness that there's a self who is witnessing, and that somehow. This self is separate and distinct from the experience, you know. So, so that's a duality, right? You know, if I think I am witnessing, that's a, we have a duality in the mind. And so, more and more, there's a, there can be a a kind of dissolving, a, be, a kind of just a, a, a becoming. You know, very transparent sense of self and a very subtle sense of self, and then it dissolves, perhaps. Uh, you know, and we we experience this kind of just open awareness. This um, you know, the non-dual meditation is called many things. It's non-dual. You know, is is a is, a, is an expression from a certain tradition. <coughs> uh, it can be called open awareness. It ca- can be called Zochen, Zochen, um, uh, Zen is in this. Zen meditation is in this tradition. Um, formless meditation. So it's it's simply um, uh, the 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 dissolving of a sense of self and just uh, presence with. I had, um, uh, or presence, presence, not even presence with, presence, and, and that presence is the aliveness of life moving through us. So, you know, because of the nature of language, you know, as I talked about uh, um, yesterday, it's, it's really hard to, to really talk about this quality or this, this, this beingness. So we, we, we make up some words like isness and beingness and and, uh, and and it's pointing to something. 
it's pointing to something non-dual. I had a, I had an experience, um, you know, early on when I started doing retreats, which was, you know, a very profound experience, in which I really saw the the way that the mind divides itself. Um, I was doing a a compassion practice, and and in this compassion practice, the 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 practice was. Um, that the phrase that I was using was, uh, you know, I, I care about this pain, I'm listening to this pain, I'm open to this pain. And in my practice, I was experiencing a kind of grief in my heart, you know, so there was this, just this feeling of sadness, and so I was bringing this compassion, and I was, I was saying to myself, and I care about this pain. I'm listening to this pain. And I guess my, just, I was very absorbed in this. Uh, and, you know, just very deeply, fully there. And there was suddenly this insight that, you know, who was listening to who? You know, that there was, like, I'm saying, I care about this pain, but it's it was a way of dividing myself somehow. That that there was a an I who was listening or present with another I somehow that I was making an object, and so some that duality just dropped away, and it was. You know, really uh, clear that uh, there's no duality. Uh, so, so that's that. That's an example that I, uh, you know, that 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 sense of, you know, even when we when we look we look at the mind, you know, we can experience it as a duality, and it's there's no duality. Uh, there's just there's just one. And so we, um, uh, so 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 as meditation develops and as we become, as the mind becomes more silent, you know, and it's it's really our thoughts and our stories, you know, and our clinging to an idea of what we want or to some object. We're setting up these dualities in so many ways. And so in the, in the open awareness or non-dual uh, state or real presence, you know, uh, we, we see through that. And so, and so, you know, as the mind becomes more and more silent, present, open, uh, not clinging to our preferences, you know, as we talked about in the beginning of the retreat, we we can um, we can realize that. So, I uh, just want to ask if there are any questions about any of this, anything I said, or uh, you know, in, yeah, John. So when you talk about witnessing, when you know, being with witnessing the experience, 
I, so I, I, I understand that at some level, and yet, does that disengage you from the experience? It doesn't disengage you. Like, we can be fully engaged, but it helps us to be non-attached in the experience so that we're not, you know... So the difference is... So say, for example, if I'm engaged, you know, in a relationship with somebody and I have an agenda right, of how I want that to go. I'm not really present, you know, to that person. But if there is this quality of, of presence and openness, then there's an awareness that there's this wanting things to go a certain way. And maybe I can let go. I can be, you know, loose around that. I can be more open, really present with the other person, you know, and take in their reality. If I can take in their reality, that's going to change, you know, how I see things. And so, so it doesn't mean we don't engage, but it, it, it means we're, we're not so attached to our, our expectations, preferences, and so on. J'aimerais savoir, est-ce que tu peux me donner des auteurs ou des lectures que je pourrais lire? Parce que là, je t'écoute, je dois traduire dans ma tête. Okay. C'est important pour moi ce que tu dis, ça me touche beaucoup où je suis rendue. Moi, j'aimerais ça pouvoir. Ok. So, so um, uh, Diane was asking, uh, saying it's hard to take in, in English, the, you know, the teaching and. Are there books or talks? Um, well, these talks will be online. Ces lectures sera en ligne sur notre site web dans une ou deux semaines peut-être. Et tu peux... Et... Je suis sûre qu'il y a des autres euh, auteurs et lecteurs aussi, mais à ce moment, je ne peux pas euh, faire une recommandation. Is that the same thing yeah, every all the talks, all the instructions are being recorded. Yeah. <coughs> okay. So, oh, yeah, Karen. Um, in, I understand everything that you said, and I've actually practiced it in in a few different ways. But um, I was wondering, in the situation you described, where um, not experiencing the uh, a pain or looking looking at it from a, a distance as opposed to taking it in, it it does work, and I. I've, the one problem I've run into is I belong to a, a group of people who um, have experienced a, a, a significant pain and um, something that's caused a lot of anger. And 
they continue to deal with the implications of the vengefulness of, of one person. And so, though I let it go myself and refuse to engage and refuse to, if I do get angry, I stop and look at why I'm angry. And I've tried to encourage one person in specific who's a close friend to do the same and to, uh, to by convincing her that she was only hurting herself by continuing to get drawn into these emotions. But at the end of the day, even though you're letting it go and you're not experiencing those emotions, if you don't at least respond or say something when someone is talking about them, they will assume you don't care or that they, that you're, you don't care about their feelings or whatever. Mm-hmm. So how, yeah, in I, a situation like that, can you... So, so uh, uh, yeah, I just in the interest of time, I'm, I just want to respond. Um, uh, so, so uh, I'm not sure that you you were saying that I was recommending that you see things from a distance. You actually, when you are uh, connecting with a a painful sensation or a painful emotion, you are. It's not. You're not distant from it. You're intimate with it. You are intimate with it. So you are really welcoming it into your heart, into your 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 your. You're actually present with it in the body. So if it's if it's anger, if it's hurt, you're feeling what that is. You're allowing it. You're accepting it and opening to it. Uh, and and in doing so, we we gain the very valuable uh, insight that this is not something solid or static, but it is something that moves through us. It arises. It passes away. And so so we we actually are present with it. We're not. We're not at the effect of it. We're taking, we're taking that, uh, that steadiness of mind that we've developed, and we're we're just um, staying present within it. And when somebody expresses to you uh, their anger, then you know the appropriate thing to do is, uh, well. You know, in every situation, it's different. But certainly, compassion is an appropriate response, not not indifference or 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 uh, kind of somehow dismissing it or minimizing it. You know that if this is uh, painful, then then one can respond compassionately and and you know and perhaps if one is a friend, you know can. Um, you know, respond as a friend in whatever ways that seems right. Yeah. So, okay, one more question, and then I'd like to do something. If I say it's not really a question, it's a response to Karen? Uh, yeah, I'd, li- I'd rather not have the, you know, kind of, we don't do that in this context, so, yeah, thanks. Yes, okay, one more. One more. Yeah. 
Yes, David, Bill is speaking. I don't know, maybe this question is for Bill, for choice, this awareness, and saying, um, you know, I am not the thought, I am not the sound, I am not the sensation. Eventually, does one actually become the sound and the thought and the sensation? You are the space in which the sound and the sensation arise. I'm going to talk about that this afternoon. It's a what's often referred to as a figure ground shift. That's a term from psychology. I'll, I'll demonstrate it. I got a little prop. But normally we think we are objects in space. When there's a figure ground shift, we become the space in which objects arise. So we are watching what is arising. Um, but ultimately, I guess we're everything because we are that space. We're not separate from anything. Okay. So we have... uh, Thank you. So we have time for uh, some meditation, and then um, then I'm going to uh, read a um, little... Uh, practice, a little exercise uh, that I'd like you to work with as you do walking meditation and and you move through your activities of the day. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.